As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Hello and welcome to Matters of Life and Death. Um, As always, I'm Tim Wyatt and I'm uh, joined by my dad, Professor John Wyatt. Hi there. Hi, Tim. So this is a part two, uh, picking up on our our episode last week, where we did a little kind of quick whistle-stop tour through some of the the newest and most uh, kind of jaw-dropping developments in in embryology um, and stem cell research. Uh, We talked about a whole bunch of stories about, you know, artificial wombs, creating embryos from stem cells, uh, using CRISPR to edit the germline. Um, And then we kind of zoomed out a little bit and talked about the regulatory framework that that sets this around embryo research in particular the the 14 day limit which says that all embryos must be destroyed after they've been kind of grown in a lab for 14 days we talked about in the uk where that that limit came from kind of the philosophy behind it um and we ended by discussing how there is now a kind of push by scientists and even some in the kind of regulatory world to extend the 14 day limit the, the kind of science is butting up against those 14 days and and there's a lot of researchers out there who would like to 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 cultivate embryos for longer uh, and we um, and so this this week we really want to talk about the implications of that change if it goes ahead how should we feel about that as christians and what consequences might it have yes and i i think you know this is a classic example isn't it where traditional biblical historic theology and understanding um really finds itself struggling Mm. uh, to to conceive of these new entities that are being created in laboratories yeah um there's both the question of uh a normally constructed human embryo which is you know in original creation order is intended to be inside a woman's body inside the womb in this safe place as in psalm 139 in the depths of the earth mm. uh, seen and known by god but instead is in a laboratory in this uh, sterile environment um multiplying observed uh, processed analyzed and then you've got these very weird simulacra um the things that are almost human but not quite constructed mm. out of stem cells um again growing um indefinitely uh, and, and creating 
uh, tissue and organs. So um, these, you know, this sounds like science fiction. This sounds like Aldous Huxley, Brave New World, but it's it's real science. And and how do we get our heads around this from from the perspective of the historic biblical Christian faith? Mm. And it's the kind of situation where you know you'll go to scripture to look for for guidance and teaching on on human like stem cell derived blastocysts, and I'm afraid you'll come <laughs> up empty uh, because this is just simply uh, you know the worldview of the biblical authors just cannot even comprehend. Uh, the what is going on in, in labs around the world now and so you have to do I think as a Christian thinker we have to do quite a lot of work to think about how do we attach our kind of gospel first principles and work them forwards to to the world that we live in because you're not getting a lot of help from kind of either the, the scripture itself or from the kind of church tradition church fathers and, and previous writings that's right and of, of course there have been church uh, theologians have been um, grappling with these issues uh, right from the very earliest times of the church in the sense of of trying to understand the significance of the developing human in the womb and and there are really two traditions which you can trace um, one tradition uh, which which saw however far back you go, uh, there is a person, um, there is a human being at a very early stage of development. And the other view that there was some point in human development at which this was sometimes called ensoulment um, or some other a point at which in, um, in human development the... Um, the the soul entered or the, or the person could be identified and that before that point the being in the womb although significant didn't have the significance of a, of a full personhood hmm. it's interesting isn't it because i think a lot of christians particularly evangelical christians instinctively come down on or feel like the orthodox view is the first one that you know we've been kind of raised in a world let's face it probably driven mostly by the kind of abortion debate that humans exist from from the point of conception from when the sperm first meets the egg uh, and that drives i think a lot of christians instincts which is to find all embryo research whether it's one day or 14 days or 28 days to be wrong because they see that as a human being equivalent in dignity to you or i yes i, th I think you're right that that if you were to to take views from most Christian denominations um, in 2022 on this particular issue, I think that the majority view would be that the human being de deserves protection and concern from the point of fertilization, from conception. Uh, and I think, you know, it's interesting that uh, to some extent there's been quite a shift in my lifetime. Um, when I was a student in the 1970s, um, there was quite a strong um, view amongst evangelicals of the of the kind of uh, developmental view that that um, that human personhood didn't start from the very earliest stages. And there were certainly a num there were people who t who taught that, but there were people who, who who held the alternative view, including highly respected um, 
people. So, but it, and 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 certainly in private, those views are still expressed. I mean, I many people that I know would express those views in private, but they've for whatever reason, I think the dominant view that it, that is taught in the pulpits uh, is is the view which previously was very much the Catholic view mm. that said life was important from conception only. Well, can I but put you on the spot then, just quickly, yeah. and say, do you think there is merit, or, or are there arguments in favour that you that you think are 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 worthy of consideration, which contradicts that, which say that at some point between conception and birth, the embryo becomes a person, and before then is not is not is the same. Do you, are there things that we should consider? Those of us who might have just taken for granted the kind of conception argument, are there things that we've overlooked? Well, I think there is this extremely troubling but but absolutely watertight evidence that a huge number of embryos that are created fail to implant and are lost in uh, and that the mother doesn't even never know that the embryo was there. Um, but but it is that is very well scientifically documented, and I've certainly had uh you know it's been i've been challenged by that by a number of people who say how can you possibly believe therefore that every embryo is are you suggesting that heaven is is populated by vast numbers of uh tiny embryos who mm. are people who died um within a few days of of conception um and i think also, I've been challenged, you know, as somebody who's who has tried to defend uh, the orthodox position. For instance, I mean, a classic way it's put to me is, OK, you know, there's a fire in the hospital and in the fertility lab, there's a there's a tube, a test tube with 100 embryos or you've got babies in the neonatal unit. Um, you've got five babies in the neonatal unit. You know, are you going to save 100 embryos? in the fertility lab and let the let the babies burn and if not why why are you valuing if you're telling me that embryos are people uh why are you valuing your babies more than than the embryos in the lab so so i i, I think that you know when once you start to drill down and push about this um it isn't uh, there are there are reasons to, to question um, and the theological argument is that there is an argument that you do need a central nervous system that personhood depends on some kind of individuality and awareness and that the very earliest stages of the embryo um, particularly before implantation uh, cannot be regarded as, as being an individual person in the sense that uh, would be the case later on in development. Hmm. Okay, so there's clearly you know disagreements within the church within within Christianity about this, but I think everyone would accept wherever they stood on that particular question that that the 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 embryo in very early stages of life is of huge significance. It's not just a bundle of cells like any other. Um, and that, that that we should try and construct a form of you know regulation around this research which accepts that there is kind of a morality to it but that's actually not commonplace is it among I don't know the scientists or even the regulators themselves well certainly I know that um, 
many scientists who work in this field uh, feel that um, the regulation is is far too onerous and restrictive. You know, they look down their microscope and they say, you know, what what's the big excitement about this particular bundle of cells? You know, uh, if you look at a fruit fly embryo and you look at a chicken embryo and you look at a monkey embryo and you look at a human embryo, they all look virtually identical. Um, why are we all getting so excited about this particular bundle of cells? And uh, and particularly when when these so-called religious and they would say maybe superstitious or irrational uh, attitudes towards this bundle of cells is impeding the the onward rush of science and and actually having deleterious effects. Mm. I suppose it's we need to kind of flag up the fact that there is actually a fundamental philosophical cleavage here between the kind of Warnock approach, the pragmatic regulatory approach, and the Christian approach. You know, Warnock was explicitly saying, we're not thinking about right or wrong. We're not trying to come to a conclusion on the moral status of the embryo. We're simply about it putting, we're trying to draw limits and rules which can gain wide public support. And they don't need to have any more moral justification beyond that. Whereas it is intrinsic to Christianity that actually there is an objective right or wrong, and that we do need to try and discern uh, the moral status of different acts and 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 things. <laughs> Otherwise, how do we know what 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 how we're supposed to act? Well, that's right. And I mean, I was very struck that Mary Warnock, Warnock argued that the language of right and wrong was inflammatory. <laughs> it was antisocial. It sounded arrogant. It provoked conflict. And you know, she was writing that back in the nineteen eighties. But that's that view that once we get into the public square, it's it's not helpful in some areas to talk about right and wrong. It's very interesting, isn't it? Of course, because if you go into some other areas, like, for instance, Putin's invasion of Russia, you know, we shouldn't use the language of right and wrong about Putin. I mean, that, that would be very inflammatory and would provoke conflict. In, instead, we should just talk about what would be acceptable and what's unacceptable. Well, I don't think, you know, in that sense, that's not the case at all, is it? People expatiate about the evil and this is utterly uh, wrong and uh, so they have no doubt in certain acceptable areas to talk about right and wrong but when you then go to these other contested areas about the abortion uh, about the embryo uh, then all of a sudden it's best not to use these categories Mm. yeah and I suppose it it exposes the slight kind of shallowness of of that idea of of moral relativity which is that no one is truly a moral relativist you know no one says well you know the holocaust draw your own conclusions follow your own cultural beliefs you know who's to say we all we all really in our heart of hearts do believe in a right or wrong it's just in some areas we think the only way to to mediate between conflicting beliefs is to is to abandon finding objective truth you know what do you make of that? You know, in, in a world we're not, you know, even more so than the world of the eighties, Britain today is is a big melting pot of of different religious beliefs and increasingly people with no religious beliefs, but still a set of kind of ethics and values. Um I don't think you'd say we just impose our Christian theology on everyone else. How how can is there a different, a better way than the Warnock approach to try and to try and come up with common shared rules on things like scientific research? Well, I do think we do have the right uh, as Christians, to use these categories of right and wrong. I mean, I don't think we should feel, uh, just because other people don't like 
us using these words, that therefore we're somehow gagged and silenced in the public square. Um, and I and many others would argue that there is a place to talk about this is this is right and this is wrong um, in, in the public square. Uh, but we have to recognise that that kind of language is often in this kind of area uh, not very helpful. So, for instance, you know, you say, well, it's true for you, but it's not true for me. And, and how do I know, you know? What do you mean? It's right, and this kind of language frequently, frequently f fails, and therefore we need to find other means of language. And and I think other arguments that can be used, and one is about outcomes to argue that um, it is important that we live together in harmony, that we can trust one another. It's really important, therefore, that we can trust scientists. And that's why we do need to know that there are strong regulatory frameworks. And we as Christians, therefore, support strong regulatory frameworks because that means that we can uh, work towards the common good, towards social harmony and towards trusting scientists rather than mistrust. And I think a key thing I would like to see is, is um, far more kind of popular consent consultation even democratic oversight because reading you know what warnock and her committee were saying like hiding behind it and not hiding in in plain sight really is is a kind of patronizing elitism which says you know of course us educated academics whether philosophers or embryologists we all know that you know this is just a bundle of cells and we can crack on but of course we need to make sure that the kind of uneducated masses who have superstitious concerns are placated so we will come up with this openly arbitrary limit of 14 days and we will draw thick black lines around what you can and cannot do uh, but all while knowing that this is really just again kind of popular consent and is not we're not going to try and pretend there's any kind of philosophy or, or morality behind this and, and I just think that I find that distasteful <laughs> Yeah, you're absolutely right, and, and it's it's actually a very very English uh, approach. I I can see this kind of English elitism, which is entirely sort of non-transparent. <clears throat> normally, it all happens behind uh, closed doors, and where the elite get together. So the elite politicians, the elite scientists, the elite um, industrialists and economists, and uh, the regulators, and they all get together and they decide what's the best way to make sure that the masses are happy and there isn't kind of unrest and they don't get outed in the newspapers. And um, and then they together agree to look after one another's interests, really. So the politicians, you know, when it, when it comes to reproductive technology and the embryos and stem cells, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, common interests here. The politicians want to make the UK the world centre for stem cell research, for these new therapies, for embryonic work and so on. If you have a very tight regulation in the UK, but it's very lax elsewhere in the world, well, then we're never going to be able to promote the science. So it's in the interest of the politicians uh, to have a, uh, a relatively liberal regime. It's in the interest of the scientists because they're hoping to win Nobel Prizes. It's the in interest of the venture capitalists because there are massive profits to be made. And, and so we all get together in behind closed doors and we work out how can we uh, get a, a regime which will allow us to get on, do follow our own interests, but which won't cause a lot of public unrest and concern. Mm -hmm.
of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Drawing kind of these thoughts together, shall we spend just a few minutes at the end of this episode thinking about, you know, what we should we do as Christians in the future world? Let's imagine that these the limits are liberalised and relaxed and that this kind of onward rush of progress and in inverted commas in, in embryo research continues. Some of these stem cell therapies and genetic editing kind of progresses and, and we come down to a world where this is kind of everyday rather than kind of bleeding edge and sci-fi how can we as christians live in in that world well you know do, do we need to for example if if we're being offered a to grow our own kidney for a kidney transplant rather than then roll the dice on trying to find someone else's kidney do we just say no even though it, you know it might resign us to a to a painful death well just before getting into that sort of science fiction future i i do think one thing one take home message i think for this so-called democratic deficit is that we cannot expect for us as Christians to be taken seriously in this area of public debate about regulation of um, embryonic technology and so on unless we are well informed and able to uh, articulate our views in a way which is informed, relevant and, um, and I think there's therefore a real uh, need for at least some Christians to really inform themselves, educate themselves on in this rapidly developing technology, precisely so they can uh, contribute to the democratic debate. Uh, and 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 I think very often, I'm afraid, uh, Christians haven't been good in doing that. They've they've tend to collapse into very simplistic uh, understandings. Um, and and as a result, often the Christian voice is is ignored or marginalised uh, in the debate. So I, th- I, th- I think there is a real, sorry, somebody te- peeping their horn outside the window. I, I think there's a real need for um, for Christians, perhaps, to up their game, at least for some people, to say, look, it's really important for us to become informed in this area and to tr- and to contribute to the democratic debate. Mm. But th- then, as we by go, listening f- to a podcast. <laughs> Just, just a no. random idea. Is, yeah, I'm sorry. This sounds like special pleading. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, but but I, I do think the um, the other uh, thing it it is interesting to think that we may well find ourselves in a world in the future where we are faced with some very painful choices. You know, do I accept some life changing, life transforming therapy, uh, which has been developed in some very um, unpleasant and distasteful and and possibly unethical ways, mm. um, and I, I think there probably is a kind of some kind of analogy with the debate that went on about COVID vac- COVID vaccines at the, at the uh, when they were first being introduced. Yes, that's what immediately came to my mind as well. It is as some people might remember that. Um, many if not most i think of the various covid vaccines on offer had in their kind of research and development had had used um uh what's called an immortal cell line so these are human cells that uh have been kept reproducing indefinitely in a lab um and they were they can trace all themselves all the way back originally to 
what is thought to be a, an aborted fetus in the Netherlands in the 1970s. Um, and a lot of Christians, understandably, were quite concerned when they discovered this and, and um, uh, had questions about, if I take the, the vaccine, am I, in some sense, uh, complicit in the abortion of that fetus in 1970, whatever it was? Um, and this is, I guess this comes down to what's often called the kind of cooperation with evil. Are you morally responsible for evil, which is not carried out by your hand, but if you benefit from it or in some way collaborate with the results of that evil, you know, is in, in God's eyes, is that the same thing? That's right. And it is a deeply um, difficult and, and, and complex and contested area. But it's interesting that... Uh, Theologians and ethicists, particularly Catholic uh, theologians, have been grappling with this problem of cooperation with evil uh, for many centuries. And I think their analysis is quite helpful. And in particular, they they divided between cooperation, which was either active or passive, uh, cooperation, which was intentional or unintentional, and cooperation, which was proximate, which was close to the evil act or distant from the evil act and so when when applied to the um, the covid vaccine you would say you know this this was a passive involvement nobody intended that an aborted fetus should be used it was it was something that was uh, unintended and passive and it was also a very long time ago it, it happened you know so it was in that sense the action of me having a vaccine in in twenty twenty one or whenever it was didn't was very distant from this one event that might have happened with an aborted fetus back in nineteen seventy. Um, but it's interesting. It, let's apply the same reasoning. Let's suppose that some way of growing human embryos very uh, to a much later stage in the lab. Uh, developed a new treatment for kidney disease and I am I've got serious kidney disease it, it might take my life if I accept this treatment grown from grown human embryos in the lab it could save my life so in this case is the cooperation with evil active or passive I, I think you could say it, it is active because I am intentionally using an embryo which has been effectively grown for me uh, in order to be... And therefore, is it intentional or unintentional? Well, I'm not, I'm not intending to do evil, but on the other hand, I am agreeing with the creation of this embryo which is genetically identical with me. Um, and therefore, it, it does seem as though the cooperation with evil is much closer to me, uh, just speaking personally, uh, compared with the COVID vaccine. And so I, I think you might argue that, you know, the act of saying, I will refuse this thing, which I feel morally, it's morally deeply tainted, even if that's, I'm jeopardizing my life, I will do that out of loyalty to Christ, even though other people may think I'm completely mad. Yeah, I think it's a very challenging, challenging question, isn't it? And I think that the the really helpful thing to think about, I, I think, is is that idea of um, intentionality. And, and also, you know, there's a clear distinction between 
you know, in some sense deriving some kind of very, very disconnected benefit from the abortion of a of a child in the 1970s through to saying right here now in 2022 or more likely 2052 when this becomes possible, um, I'm going to commission the creation of a cloned embryo of myself and to treat it as a 3D bioprinter to create myself a, a, an organ that... that you can't really wash your hands in the same way. You could say it was a tragedy that that child was aborted, but uh, I can't undo that now. These cell lines exist. The cells that we, that the vaccine was tested on actually ha- have are you know millions of reproductions away from the actual cells of the fetus. Um, that's a c- quite different for, for me to the idea of I'm going to actually ask a scientist to clone a tiny embryo, mini me, for me. Uh, grow it to 50 60 days and then discard it once i've extracted the kidney that i that i require yeah and so i mean i think it is possible as we come into this brave new world that increasingly new therapies new developments will 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 come out of the rush of of biotechnology um which uh christians concerned about some of these ethical and moral issues may feel increasingly that they that they want to withdraw from they want they don't want to uh, that there is and and the basic view behind this is that is that christian th- theology views human life and the extension of human life as something as an immense good an immensely important good but not as the greatest good there are other things which are even more important such as protecting innocent lives from abuse and and from maltreatment and and therefore sometimes as as christians we're called to say no to some of the possibilities that uh, technology is offering us because of a of a higher principle which we feel we owe loyalty to and then this kind of ties in with what you were saying about the need for christians to up their game and kind of educate themselves because i think there's that we might be entering into a world in the future where where a lot of this will shift from kind of theory to practice and what you don't want is is to to be first time you ever think about some of these ethical challenges is when you've just been given a kidney disease diagnosis and the doctor is there offering you the uh the therapy you know we we need to we need to be ready for this because these are going to be some of the decisions that you know we might be called to out of loyalty to Christ might be unbelievably costly decisions they might really hurt in a in a physical and in an emotional sense you know they might lead to huge social ostracization they might lead to our own kind of suffering or even our own deaths in kind of worst case scenarios and in that moment of crisis is not the point to be first wondering gosh what do i think about embryology research and and you know stem cell derived blastocysts and all that kind of stuff you know the the point to be doing that thinking is is before the rubber hits the road because it might just be that what god is calling us to do is a really is a really hard thing to do yeah and of course none of us can be experts in everything that's going on there you know what but what we do need to do is to encourage people to develop their own areas of of expertise um and and understanding and then we help one another um, and and uh, we we have within the Christian community uh, uh, people who who are able to contribute and knowledgeably and and help and advise others. Is there is there a challenge therefore to get more Christians into you know stem cell molecular biology, to, or is that going to become more and more difficult because to work in that field will require you 
by effect to to take part and and directly cooperate in some of the the evil things that might be happening. Well, I think that's you put your finger on a really important, interesting area, and perhaps it's something we can come back to and discuss in the future. But in, in essence, I think there is that that tension. On the one hand, yes, uh, in order to understand and really. Um, engage it's very helpful to have Christians actually working in this field but on the other hand uh, I think you can see that it may be that increasingly there are some areas of technology where Christians feel it becomes like a no-go area we can still inform ourselves we can uh, make sure that we really understand what's going on but that d- there are some areas where we feel we simply cannot be involved hmm. well lots to ponder there um thanks for coming on this this journey with us i hope it hasn't been too too uh, esoteric um <laughs> I, I hope we've kind of persuaded you that these are really interesting if if slightly complex issues to discuss uh and thanks uh, for your for your guiding hand along the way um we're going to draw this uh, series of episodes to a close um uh, as always uh, there's lots of um resources and articles to read and videos to watch and other podcasts to listen to on on john's website that's john wyatt w-y-a-t-t dot com uh, you can get in touch with us by emailing molad at premiere.org.uk um, we're always uh, really interested in particular in, in feedback on episodes but also ideas um, of things to talk about in the future news stories and developments you might have seen so please do get in touch uh, and thanks to those who already have um, and otherwise uh, thanks for listening uh, and we'll speak to you next week Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable.